We all know that I love making and recording my own podcast. Loudmouth is my heart and soul. But what's even more fun is that it's easy to do. And guess what? (laughs) You can do one too. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Because it's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your own podcast right from your phone or your computer. Anchor will distribute the podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and anywhere else you can listen to podcasts. You can make money from it with no minimum listenership. It's literally everything you need to make a podcast right there in one place for free. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Loudmouth Podcast, your favorite podcast ever probably um I'm your host Madison Handler happy Wednesday I hope you guys are all doing great getting through the week you are so close to the end of the week and I'm so happy for you but today I wanted to introduce this episode by giving a very very big trigger warning um this episode will be talking about sexual assault domestic violence um relationship abuse just everything in between so please proceed with caution and if you do not think that you can handle um, or do not think that you should be listening to this please don't take care of yourself and give yourself some love I will not be mad at all if you have to exit out of this episode but this episode is very important and special I have my friend Christopher Stibbs along with me who I actually met through Sienna who is also on this podcast and Christopher is or Chris, is the Director of Philanthropic Engagement at Newhouse KC. Um, Newhouse is a local nonprofit in the Kansas City area that works with domestic abuse survivors um, and everyone in between, child survivors, literally anyone, elderly survivors, whoever it may be. Um, They are a shelter that will house them and also focus on holistic treatment of survivors making sure that they get everything they need to make sure that they are breaking the cycle of abuse and they can go off go forth into the world with their best foot ahead of them and I'm just very excited about this episode because Chris is so great at explaining what Newhouse does but also um, talking about just how you guys can help with sexual assault and domestic violence how we can all break the cycle of abuse just like what Newhouse is doing. I wanted to release this episode because if you guys don't know, April is Sexual Assault Awareness Month, and you may remember that a couple years ago for my senior project, I did a whole series on sexual assault in healthy relationships in college because it's very hard to find, and that's where a lot of problems with relationships occur and so I kind of did a whole series on that on Greek life and everything in between and I wanted to continue that series. Being a woman in this world is hard and also having a podcast called Loudmouth I thought it would be absolutely ridiculous of me to not speak up about this and so I invited my friend Chris to join me in talking about it because he is truly a great expert in how to help and how to do things that will affect the community and break the cycle of abuse. Um, And another reason why this episode is so special today is because it's actually Denim Day. So April 28th this year is Denim Day. And if you don't know what Denim Day is, in um, 1999, the Italian parliament overturned a 1992 rape conviction based on the survivor's clothing. 
So according to the, to the decision, the woman um, was wearing tight jeans. So therefore must have given consent to be raped, <laughs> which those words don't really go together, do they? Consent and rape. So this day is all just about making sure that survivors feel heard, feel supported, and feel like they are important and they matter in this world, no matter what has happened to them before. So I think it's cool that I'm releasing this episode today because I just wanted to bring this into conversation and to talk about it. So I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. I hope you enjoy Chris. I think he really touches on some amazing things in this episode on how to help anyone in your life who may have been abused, who may or are currently going through domestic abuse. And if you are listening to this and you think that may be you, please know that my DMs are always, always open and I'm willing to listen to you no matter what. So let's get into the episode. How about that? Chris Stibbs, and I'm the director of philanthropic engagement for Newhouse Shelter. We're Kansas City's oldest domestic violence shelter, and we're actually celebrating 50 years this year in the community. Um, and so I stepped into this role about two years ago in fundraising, but I've been involved with the agency for eight or nine years now. Um, I started as an advocate in college, and so you can imagine a 20-year-old <laughs> just navigating um, this kind of work and the seriousness of it and, you know, how prevalent it is in the community. And the moment I stepped foot in, I knew that I wanted to be a part of Newhouse's team for a long time. So I was excited to come back yeah. uh, to Newhouse. That's so amazing. So what is an advocate? Like what? It, well, actually, first, let's start. What is Newhouse? Explain yeah. it a little bit. So we're a domestic violence agency serving women, men and children. Um, two things I always, you know, pride us on in the work we're doing is we were actually the first shelter to house individuals who identified as transgender. Um, and this was in the early 2000s when it was really hard to find shelter um, for these individuals. And we were also the first shelter to house men in the facility because um, one in three women and one in four men will experience domestic violence. And so there's a heavy stigma around men being victims. And so I was very excited when Newhouse started accepting men because there really were no resources for them to go that were specifically shelters for DV survivors. Yeah. So Newhouse provides comprehensive services from adult and children's case management to adult and children's therapy. We have an early childhood learning center, a recovery counselor. Um, I'm super excited. We just hired a part-time attorney on staff and we have a court advocate. We provide three meals a day, emergency shelter. So lots of comprehensive programs to ensure that survivors find whole person healing and self-sufficiency and are able to have long-term success and to truly break the cycle of domestic violence. Yeah, it's really just recognizing that we're all humans and every human deserves to live a life free from violence and one's sexual orientation or gender identity should not impact them from receiving services. So I've always been proud of the work we do. Yeah, that's amazing. What is an advocate Like, what do they do and all that? Yeah, so we always say that advocates are really the lifeblood or the heart of the agency. They're working 24-7 on staff to answer hotline calls, do intakes when someone comes in, 
make sure that residents have all of the things they need. Um, and like I said, they're working 24-7. We have different shifts. Um, and so there's always someone here in case of an emergency or if a client needs something, ensuring that the shelter runs smoothly. So I served in that role for two and a half years. Um, and I loved it. Yeah. Did you go from straight from being an advocate to working on the team or? No. So I took a little bit of a hiatus from Newhouse because I realized I wanted to be in fundraising after mm -hmm. spending years thinking I wanted to do therapy. <laughs> um, and so there wasn't a role for me at Newhouse. And so I went to work for a different agency, but stayed on Newhouse's Young Professionals Board. And then I went to work for a different DV organization and still remained a volunteer at Newhouse <laughs> during that time and then was able to come back two years ago to rejoin the staff, but be on the fundraising and administrative side. That's really cool that you started out and kind of saw how much you loved it and things like that. Yeah. Can, how old are advocates usually? Like, what is the age range for that? Yeah. So really advocates are all ages. We have a lot of individuals who are in college and they're studying social work, psychology, criminology, criminal justice. And so they have a passion for this work. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of my colleagues in the advocate's office are now getting their master's in social work or their master's in counseling. Um, so it's a great stepping stone for these individuals. So right now we have a lot of advocates who are in their 20s, um, but really it's all ages. Yeah. So anyone can join. That's really cool. Yeah. What kind of I guess, a definition of like domestic violence or what kind of definition does Newhouse take on domestic violence? Yeah, so we work with survivors who have experienced all ranges of domestic violence. There's sexual violence, physical violence, socioeconomic, or what we call financial abuse, where the abuser has held finances from the survivor. They've never been able to have a credit card or have access to the money or they couldn't work um, emotional abuse where it's not always physical but psychological in words and what they say and how a survivor can really um, tear or how an abuser can really tear a survivor down um, with his or her words and so we also see where there is spousal abuse where it's you know maybe a husband or wife being abusive to their husband or wife um, we've seen familial abuse where a parent is abusive towards a child, vice versa. Um, elder abuse is something that's very rampant in the community. Um, we've also worked with individuals who are experiencing stalking. We've had human trafficking and sex trafficking survivors in the facility. There's really no limit to yeah. who we serve. It's anybody who's experiencing this violence in their life or has experienced this violence. I mean, someone who may have experienced domestic violence 30 years ago may still be impacted mm -hmm. by the trauma that they experienced and how can we work with them to reverse the impact of trauma and ensure that they have all of the services they need to be successful and heal. Yeah, I think that's one of the coolest things about Newhouse is like what you were saying earlier, the all-around holistic yeah. approach to treating it because obviously, you know, giving them a place to sleep at night is amazing and great and needed but helping them to be able to continue on after it and deal with the trauma and all that and get out stopping the cycle of abuse and things like that is amazing um, you said you guys just hired on an attorney here mm -hmm. so what does that attorney kind of focus on at here yeah so the attorney will really be working with clients who 
need additional assistance on top of like ex partes or orders of protection where they are filing so that the abuser cannot come within a certain distance of them. In some cases, there may be custody issues where they're fighting to get full custody of their child from the abuser. Um, some individuals who have experienced domestic violence may have warrants that they need assistance with removing. Um, so there are also cases where um, a divorce is needed. So there's so many different areas that the attorney is needed. And so our goal with this program is hopefully it can grow from a part-time attorney to a full-time attorney mm -hmm. um, to also assist with our court advocates who help serve basically as an advocate navigating the court system. Mm -hmm. um, so really growing that legal team in a sense to help survivors and, and ensure that financial barriers are not present when it comes to seeking an attorney to help. Mm -hmm. So are the court advocates just a part of like the advocate um, system, I guess? So they're a little different okay. um, and operate out of a different office, but still work together a lot and collaborate. Okay. Um, and in fact, our current court advocate, who is fabulous, mm -hmm. started as an advocate in the hotline room. So she's grown on to take on this new role. Yeah. So is it usually people who are kind of like, in law or in like the court i don't want to say system but you know what i'm saying like yeah. in the court kind of world that do that yeah so our part-time attorney that we hired is coming from that background of working with survivors um, which is very critical because the needs of survivors can be very different than somebody who's just getting a divorce but mm -hmm. has never experienced domestic violence um, so we definitely like to bring in people who have that experience um, and that's why Carla, our court advocate, was perfect as well to come on because she had been an advocate and seen the work that was being done in the shelter and the need through the court system. And so she was the perfect fit to move into the court advocate role, having had that experience. Yeah. Um, when you were when we were talking about like trauma and things like that, you guys have do you guys have a therapist like mm -hmm. in house that take not takes care of that, but helps kind of with that? Yeah, we have adult therapists and children's therapists. And the children's therapist especially will not only do children's therapy, but also family therapy where it's working with mom or dad and the children. Um, we also have what we call a therapeutic case manager, which combines case management practice with therapeutic practices. Um, and so she collaborates a lot with the therapist as well. And then the recovery counselor who works with anybody who's identified with a substance dependency issue mm -hmm. also works in collaboration with the therapeutic case manager and the therapist. So our clinical team really collaborates a lot in the field and is constantly talking with each other, each other to ensure that clients have all the resources they need, that, you know, the conversations are moving forward. Um, so our team works together hand in hand a lot. Yeah. So is everyone who kind of walks through the doors of Newhouse, are they all, I don't want to say required, but do they all go to therapy at some point or another or can they kind of choose or... What does that process yeah, look so like? so we are moving to a process where services are not mandatory. Okay. Um, recognizing, you know, trauma-informed care, which is really, and we have kind of this new saying where it, it's not um, what's wrong with you, it's what's happened to you. Mm -hmm. um, and looking at the trauma that a client has faced and how we can provide the best services possible, the best route to healing in recognizing that trauma and how we put that recognition first and then apply our therapy therapeutic practices and our services around that. Um, and so we are actually moving to where 
um, services are not required Mm -hmm. um, just to ensure that we're really practicing a trauma-informed care model. Yeah, I like that. That's cool to think about. And I'm sure very hard (laughs) Yeah, because, you know, obviously, like you may know some of the situations, but it's not like, you know, it's always as clear as day. And obviously not everyone tells the full story or nobody can experience it as much as the individual who went through it did. But so are you guys all required to take like um, trauma training and like stuff like that? Or what kind of like for a typical staff member, like what do they go through training wise? Yeah. So we have a partnership with the Missouri Coalition Against Domestic and Sexual Violence. And so they have a set of trainings that we put our staff through when they start um, just to learn, you know, domestic violence 101, sexual violence 101. Um, Many of our staff are mandated reporters. Mm -hmm. Um, So taking these set of trainings to ensure that they have the skills necessary to do the work to be the resource for survivors. Um, we're getting ready for our staff to go through um, trauma-informed training again, mm-hmm. um, which many of our staff have had before, mm-hmm. um, but giving their, uh, them the opportunity to dive deeper into that um, and really hone their skills with that. Um, but our staff are continually attending trainings, following the latest practices, um, reading up on the latest studies, ensuring that our programs are innovative and continuing to move survivors forward instead of holding them back. Um, So we do do a lot of training Mm -hmm. to ensure that we're providing the best possible programs. Yeah. So whenever a, an advocate comes on, are they also required to kind of go through the same kind of training or is it more, you know, I guess specific based or whatever? Yeah. So the advocates fall into a lot of the same training that other direct services staff would do. Each department has a little bit of a tailored training just as far as the work that they're doing. Um, But overall, we have this level of standards that all staff members do, no matter what department you're in, um, to ensure that you have the basic level knowledge that you need. And then from there, you'll have training specific to the work you're doing. Okay, gotcha. So whenever you first started become or you became an advocate, what kind of led you to come to Newhouse to do that? Yeah, so I actually, when I went to Rockhurst University for college, they do this nonprofit speed networking event, and I worked in the office that handled the event, and I was organizing brochures for all of these different agencies Mm -hmm. afterwards, and I happened to stumble across the Newhouse brochure, and I was looking for volunteer opportunities, and I thought, you know, I don't really know much about domestic violence. I didn't really know that it was a thing. I grew mm-hmm. up in a very sheltered, privileged home, mm-hmm. and I was not exposed to that, thankfully, but I really didn't understand the gravity of it. And so I applied to be a volunteer, not really knowing anything, and the moment I stepped foot into the building, just something clicked, and I knew that I wanted to be a part of this agency. After my first shift as a volunteer, I mean, I was hooked. Yeah. Um, and so it just happened to be that I stumbled across mm-hmm. this shelter one day, but it completely changed the trajectory of what my career plans were and what I wanted to do with my life. Um, so I look back and I, I just kind of smile yeah. because I just one one pamphlet that I found one day really changed what I was looking to do. Everything. In life. And it's crazy how once you start like volunteering or doing something for a nonprofit or something that you care about, you're just like, wait, okay, this yeah. is exactly what I want to do. Right. Because I mean, I know whenever I first started 
like I interned for JDRF, the Juvenile mm-hmm. Diabetes Research Foundation in St. Louis. And all of a sudden I was like, wait, do I want to work for a nonprofit? Right. And then all of a sudden, like, that's all I did for the rest of college yeah. was intern at nonprofits. Right. And I was like, this is what I want to do. Well, and just discovering that you can have a career in the nonprofit sector. Yeah. You can still make money and help people and do everything you want to do. I guess I never really thought of a career in the nonprofit sector, mm-hmm. even though the therapy I was looking to do was most likely working with a nonprofit anyways. Yeah. I never put two and two together mm-hmm. that there was this whole world out there or that you could do fundraising. Yeah. Like, that people were paid to do fundraising to raise money for agencies like Newhouse. Um, so I was pleasantly surprised when yeah. I stumbled into this world and never left. Yeah. It's also amazing like whenever you talk about working for a nonprofit, people are always like, Well, you don't really get paid a lot. I'm right. like Okay, and what like what does that really matter right. if I'm doing something that I'm truly passionate about yeah. and with a cause that is really important, like yeah. the money doesn't really. Well, and that's definitely mm-hmm. a conversation in the sector and in philanthropy in general. Like, why do we expect nonprofit employees to make much less than their counterparts in the for-profit world when the work is just as important, if not more, more critical. Yeah. <laughs> and if we invest in an infrastructure where staff are making livable wages and making the money they need to be successful, is that helping reduce turnover? Is that ensuring that you have the best talent out there to solve these systemic problems like domestic violence? So there's a whole conversation yeah. around it. Yeah. And I'm interested to see uh, how the mentality of salary pay changes in the sector as we go on because i definitely think there are a lot more conversations going on oh yeah especially after covid how so many nonprofits have been the one to save people right like i mean literally so no other whole other can of worms that we could open what kind of is one thing that you've seen come out of like your work doing here either being an advocate or being a paid employee what have you seen grown out of new house like that has helped the kansas city community does that make sense yeah just i've seen how working the nonprofit sector really can connect you with other nonprofit agencies how we collaborate how we work together how we're all tackling important missions and how those missions sometimes intertwine mm-hmm. um i've gotten to see firsthand the work new house has done when it comes to impacting a survivor Um, We have a speakers bureau where survivors will speak on their experiences and the work happening at Newhouse. Um, I've just seen the opportunity to talk with survivors when I share I work for Newhouse and they disclose, you know, that they experienced abuse and how thankful they are for agencies like Newhouse that are here. Um, For some individuals, they share, you know, I experienced domestic violence 50 plus years ago. Mm -hmm. There was nowhere for me to go. And now there are agencies like Newhouse here. Um, So I get to see, you know, the impact that an agency like ours gets to have on people. I'll talk with donors sometimes and, you know, they've got tears in their Mm -hmm. eyes sharing their story. Um, I talked with someone the other day who had the opportunity to go into a shelter And even though she was there for a short time, she says it was exactly what she needed to get back on her feet and move forward. Um, So I get to see how we've kind of planted these seeds all over the community over the last 50 years and how it's grown into trees and flowers and just really grown. Um, So that's definitely one of the coolest parts of my job is just being able to talk with people and hear their stories. Yeah. So... When someone's experiencing domestic violence or whatever it may be in whatever form, how can one go about um, 
I guess specifically Newhouse, how can one go about obtaining help through Newhouse? Yeah. So there's a couple different ways people kind of get to us. Um, definitely calling our hotline, which is 816-471-5800. Um, we'll take you directly to our 24-hour hotline that our advocates are answering. Um, and they do what we call kind of a hotline intake, which is just going through a couple basic questions. Um, and then it's a way to check and see what our bed availability is. Because unfortunately, on any given night, the shelters are usually full. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes people are having to call multiple times a day to check in on a bed. We always recommend keep calling back. It's a first come first serve basis. Um, But people will also get referred by other social agencies. They'll get referred by law enforcement. Um, People will Google us. So there's many different ways to find us um, without actually being able to see our physical address. Mm -hmm. Um, But it all usually leads to the hotline. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, it's obviously needed and necessary but it's crazy how hidden your guys's address is like that is yeah. so cool to me just as because of how big you guys are and all that kind of stuff that is really cool that you have got like you guys have it on lock basically yeah. um because that's important to feel safe and yeah. to feel comfortable um so have any or i guess is it possible for a child who's experiencing violence to just come to you guys alone or is it usually like with a parent or with a so children member. usually have to be emancipated okay. um, to be coming into shelter but we have an amazing community partner synergy services that works with a lot of youth as well as domestic violence survivors um, so if we're not able to provide the service we have a lot of partnerships with community agencies throughout the metro that we can call in to assist where yeah. needed so once somebody kind of comes into the shelter um you guys obviously have beds and everything, but are just meals started, like, I guess kind of what's the process of being taken in, if there's any way you can go kind of through that or, like, kind of what comes up or things like that? I don't know if that makes yeah, sense. so our goal is when somebody's coming in that we make them feel as comfortable as possible. I mean, they're often coming from traumatic situations that we can only imagine what they've experienced. And so how does every step of the way ensure that, we are addressing the trauma that a survivor has faced, how we're ensuring that they're comfortable, that they're able to heal. Um, so when they come in, you know, they're escorted upstairs by an advocate who's there at the door to greet them. Um, if they've come in and they haven't eaten, ensuring that they've got food, making sure right away they have all the hygiene products they need, all of the linens for their bedroom. Like if they've come in with only the clothes on their back, ensuring that they're able to go into the boutique and pick out lots of clothing that they need um, all the way down to ensuring that they have socks and underwear that are clean. Um, so it's really addressing those critical needs right away um, that they may have come without. And then from there, ensuring that they're able to connect quickly with our therapists, with our case managers, with the entire team so that we can get started in the healing process. Um So there's lots of different stages to that. Um, When a survivor comes in and it's just ensuring that it's executed with the survivor at the forefront and Mm -hmm. making sure that we're survivor focused and they have everything they need. Yeah. So can you, you talked about a boutique or a little boutique. Can you kind of explain what that is? Yeah. So we get lots of clothing donation, accessory donations, um, all of those, you know, fun items 
and we have them in what we call the boutique where clients can come shop for free and we've kind of set it up like a boutique where it's done in sizes and there's going to be an accessory wall and a shoe wall and we've been renovating it during covid Mm -hmm. because it's really expanded into a bigger room um and so there's been an opportunity for clients to come pick out clothing some of which still has tags on it Mm -hmm. like it's brand new um and it's just another component of the healing Mm -hmm. like you know survivors have the opportunity to come in and pick out whatever they want whatever their kids need like you saw it in my office today all of the clothing (laughs) we have that's been donated that's brand new um so ensuring that they have everything they need and just making it such a positive experience for them is so important to us um so we have the boutique and it's just a great component of the shelter um, i like that a lot of the services that you guys offer kind of also offer like that sense of independence and Mm -hmm. dignity along with it um i think that's amazing like going and shopping for yourself and getting that experience of picking out your own clothes especially you know um survivors who experience some financial abuse or whatever it is i mean obviously control is always the is always an underlying issue with that so being able to take that control and pick out what they want to wear and things like that exactly um so i know that you guys have a chef right that cooks Mm -hmm. up the meals and everything do they also provide like cooking classes and things like that or is there like activities like that so we're actually in the process of rebuilding our culinary program where clients can get certified in the culinary arts um so they provide you know three hot meals a day um but we're looking to expand that program where clients can get the certification that they need to go and work in the food service industry and make a livable wages because right now there's such a high demand for chefs Mm -hmm. um, in a wide variety of settings and you're able to make you know over $15 an hour sometimes in those scenarios and so the opportunity for clients to make livable wages versus you know working minimum wage which I think is like $7.50 or something yeah um so we are actually in the process of rebuilding that program that's really cool so whenever people come in or i guess i'm transportation kind of how does do you guys provide transportation for survivors or are there ways to go about getting it or things like that to kind of like if they do get a job like while being here or whatever it is so transportation is a huge barrier um in the community and so we are working to try and find ways to alleviate that. Um, Kansas City has made the bus system free mm-hmm. now, which is great. Um, the hope is that it'll really connect up more with the streetcar. Um, we are working right now to get funding for a passenger van to do more transportation. Um, we're very lucky. We've had some donors who have come through and donated their old vehicles, and so we can then gift it to clients. Mm-hmm. Um, so we are working to try and find ways to alleviate yeah. that barrier, but it's definitely something that's still there and yeah. something we're continually trying to work on. Yeah. So then another program, sorry, I'm just asking all about yeah. the programs. So you guys have so many. Um, another program that I always see on your guys' Instagram is the flower bouquet, like yes. making. So can you kind of explain what that is and what that does? Yes. Yeah, so we are so excited to be partnering with Colleen Monroe with Floral Loom. Um, she has been coming in and teaching our residents about the art of flower arrangement. And so clients actually get paid um, to make these flower arrangements. And then they're sold at Billy's Grocery and High Tides Coffee. Um, and it's been such an amazing experience to see, one, 
you know, obviously the attention it's garnered in the community and Colleen just has the most beautiful floral <laughs> designs. Um, but also to see the self-confidence that's come from it for our residents. Yeah. I mean, they so look forward to the floral design program. Um, and Colleen's goal is actually to build, you know, this program that continues to employ more mm-hmm. survivors and hopefully on a full-time basis. Um, so it's been amazing to see that program develop. Yeah. And the recognition and just how it makes people feel. Yeah. And the beauty and floral arrangement is just it's just amazing. Yeah. We just are blown away by it. And so we love that program and love working with Colleen. She's amazing. Um, so yeah. yeah, it's cool because it's something so beautiful, but it mm-hmm. has so, and it also has so much like meaning behind it right. and things like that. Yeah. Um, so you're kind of talking about like the culinary program earlier. Are there programs for like getting your GED and things like that, that you guys work with to help yeah. survivors on? So we previously had a GED program, and that's being revamped right now. Mm-hmm. Um, we just hired a director of educational innovation who works with, you know, birth to 18 with our kids. Um, but she will also have the opportunity to help with adults as well. And GED is definitely one of those programs, ensuring yeah. anybody who wants to get their age GED has the opportunity. Anybody who wants to try and continue their education, whether it's at a community college or a four-year institution or going into the workforce in the trades field and getting the certification, ensuring that no matter what path someone wants to take, that we have the resources and opportunities there for them. Yeah, that's cool. So cool. Again, on the independence track Mm -hmm. like that is, I think, the best part about Newhouse. Well, obviously, there's so much more. But I love the idea of like building the independence up. And I feel like that's what a lot of nonprofits kind of are starting to look for. It's like, not just you know providing the help obviously is needed yeah. but also garnering their independence and their dignity after you know something tragic happens to you it's reminding them like hey you're still a human like you still have so much to offer to this world but what are some things to kind of look for if you you know as a friend or as someone like out looking on a relationship um look for in a um potentially abusive relationship or things like that yeah so first i always say having the conversation around healthy relationships and what's okay and what's not okay um in the day and age of social media it's gotten even tougher Mm -hmm. um so i talk with my friends a lot about like how a partner speaks to you if they act controlling you know we talk about things like if you know your partner's always wanting to see your phone. Who are you talking to? Who are you hanging out with? You can't wear that. You know, you need to be home by this time. Like those things are controlling um, and not healthy. Mm -hmm. Um, So really having the conversation because abusers really thrive on silence. They thrive on the survivor, not speaking up, um, isolating the survivor from their friends, their family, their job. Um, And so when we have those conversations, when we talk about healthy relationships, when we share tips, we can potentially help somebody who's in an abusive relationship. Um, We have people, I've met people where, you know, we talk about domestic violence and signs of an unhealthy relationship and it clicks that, oh my gosh, like that's something I'm going through. Um, Or I've had friends who have experienced, you know, some of those signs to be aware of and it's like that was something that I was going through you know they'll share um so I really think having those conversations talking about you know boundaries you know 
healthy tips, um, what to be on the lookout for. And also with, you know, dating apps these days, yeah. like the <laughs> etiquette and the conversations around there and what people say, like recognizing value and self-worth and recognizing that you don't deserve to be talked down to or treated that way, um, that it's not okay. Hopefully we can reach more people and prevent someone from being in that situation. The unfortunate part is abusers oftentimes don't show their true colors right away. Um, so there's definitely what we call a honeymoon period where everything's good mm-hmm. and then it's not good. Yeah. And then it gets really bad and then the abuser apologizes and then it's back to the honeymoon phase and we think it's all done and then it happens again. And that's the cycle. That's yeah. the cycle of violence. Um, and, you know, it's hard because you put yourself, especially for those who are in a relationship, like you put yourself in the situation where you're in love with somebody who is abusive. And so many survivors say, you know, I don't want my marriage to end. I don't want my relationship to end. I just want the abuse to stop. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, oftentimes it doesn't. And it takes walking away. And that's not to say that some abusers don't turn themselves around or it finally finally clicks with them. But it can be very unsafe to stay and wait to see if that happens. Yeah. Um, So that's such a loaded topic. But yeah, there's so much to it, obviously. But I do think what you're saying about having more conversations around healthy dating and things like that is so important. Totally agree. Yeah. So whenever, um, and if you can't really speak on this, that's okay. But whenever um, a survivor kind of comes through the facility and I mean, I know it's a big statistic of going back to an abuser because obviously so many things around that uh, psychologically. But kind of what does Newhouse do in that case? Like what, yeah, you know, has that ever happened? I mean, obviously yeah. it probably happened, but like just kind of explain how that goes. Yeah, so research shows that a survivor will return seven to eight times before leaving for good in mm-hmm. an abusive relationship. And so... We have had survivors who plan to go back. Um, And so safety planning, ensuring that, you know, if X, Y, Z happens, here's what I'm going to do. And just ensuring that they have all the resources they need to protect themselves in case something goes wrong or it goes bad again. Um, And that's, you know, that's the most we can do in that situation. We can try as much as we can to convince them not to leave. But at the end of the day, if they want to leave, they'll leave. Yeah. Um, so it, it's making sure that they know that Newhouse is a res- for the resource for them always and that mm-hmm. they can come back and that will help in any way we can um, is critical. Yeah. I mean, yeah, just, and I think if it's happening to someone in your life, that's important on the same base. Just like, um, you know, letting somebody know their options or just, letting them know that you're always going to be there for them no matter, you know, what happens and what yeah. may go wrong. Because, yeah, it's ultimately like the decision of the person. You can't force anyone to do anything. And there's so much that goes into, like, a relationship like that. Yeah. That, you know, is – it's all, you know, trauma. It's, like, how exactly. it affects who you are. And, obvi- like, what we were kind of saying earlier of, like, yes, an ab- abuser can definitely change their ways, but – there's just so much, you know, quote unquote, love surrounding yeah. it. So it's, and if you built a family with the person, like that's 
even harder. So there's so much more that goes into it than just, I know this is wrong. You know, I shouldn't be here. Like, obviously, in the back of their minds, everyone knows that. But there's so much that goes into it. Yeah. Especially, and I think I kind of want to talk about this a little bit, but the financial abuse. Because I Mm -hmm. think that's something that doesn't really get talked about. Yeah. And it's an asset of abuse that can be swept under the rug so easily so is there anything that you can kind of talk to that about i know we kind of talked about it earlier but like touching on that a little bit yeah so we see abusers who will not let them have access to the checking account or access to the money or they're not allowed to work they're not allowed to have their own money um and it's to ensure that power and that control so that someone can't leave and so You know, there are so many barriers that clients face when trying to leave. One of them being finances, you know, leaving maybe with your two kids and you have no money to your name because the abuser has held on to all of it. There's so much fear and anxiety in leaving when you don't have anything. Um, So that's definitely one of the barriers that clients face when trying to leave. Um, And so, you know, financial abuse is rampant. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we try when they come in to ensure that, you know, anyone who's ready to have a job has the opportunity to get a job and make a livable wage, um, ensuring that they have the skills they need, helping them if it comes down to, you know, opening a checking account, opening a bank account, um, getting a debit card, a checkbook, um, just ensuring that they have everything they need to be successful and long term break that cycle and not have to go back i mean that's all a part of the program and we see it 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 happens a lot when the abuser controls the money yeah and then we kind of talked earlier you mentioned like stalking earlier and i know Mm -hmm. that is a big thing that also is very stigmatized because you know it's hard to i don't know catch a stalker kind of thing like there's so Um, many so can you talk on that a little bit or just, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, we run into people where the abuser or the stalker is following them to their job, showing up at family's house, showing up at friends' homes, um, following them back to their house, um, consistently reaching out to them even when the survivor says, do not contact me. Um, they will, you know, send send things to the home. I mean, it's just that consistent following or interaction, even when it's been made clear that the survivor does not want anyone to contact them, does not want this individual to talk to them. Um, And it's not recognizing that. And then the abuser persistently going after them. That's what creates the problem. And, you know, we've definitely worked with clients who have experienced stalking. Yeah. Um, and that's when things like an ex parte or an order of protection come in, um, making sure that their safety is the number one priority. Yeah. Um, so it's that's very common as well. Yeah. So, sorry, we're just going to blow through the talk- topics, okay? Um, I'm just like firing questions. Right. But like I'm on. <laughs> but we were talking about, again, um, earlier men and how they kind of fit into the world of like, domestic or domestic violence and whatever it is so what are I don't know just anything that you kind of have to say on that like you know destigmatizing that Mm -hmm. kind of idea that it's just women and kind of how how we can help create a conversation about that and how if someone listening to this who's a male if they're experiencing violence kind of how they can 
seek help and things like that. Yeah. So um, men experience domestic violence at alarming rates as well. I mean, some statistics show one in seven men, some show one in four men. Um, and there is a huge stigma behind reporting because it's often thought of you're, quote, less than a man if you're experiencing domestic violence or men don't experience that, you know. Man up. W- yeah, man up. Women can't be physical towards men or men can't be, you know. We talk about the LGBTQIA community and what they experience, what we, I should say we as a member of the community, <laughs> <Same>. experience <laughs> um, with domestic violence as well. Um, and so part of our role is how do we break that stigma? How do we break those barriers? Um, because you have to also think, you know, one in four men or one in seven men, it's underreported as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, there are many people who are afraid to report it because of the stigma. Yeah. And so having those conversations, n- getting other men on board to have the conversations and talk about what's okay and what's not, and then supporting each other. I mean, at the end of the day, like, it would be a perfect world if, we could just support anybody who says I'm experiencing domestic violence and be there and listen and, you know, just the words I believe you yeah, um, are so crucial. Um, so we are trying to find ways to continue to have the conversations with men and women about domestic violence and the experience men have with it and just ensuring that, one, the resources are there for men to use, but also to make sure that they feel comfortable utilizing those resources. Mm-hmm. Um, we had men calling all the time needing shelter before we allowed men in the facility, and it was heartbreaking to have to turn people away or send them to a homeless shelter. Um, so when we started accepting men, I mean, it was huge. Yeah. It was finally like, okay, we are serving everyone. Mm-hmm. Anyone who needs help can turn to New House. Um, so we are just, I mean... We are set on trying to break that stigma yeah. and break those barriers. Yeah. So do you ever um, deal with, like, grooming cases? Like, or have you ever, you know what I'm, do you get, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Okay. Um, we definitely, you know, when we talk about human trafficking and sex trafficking, have served survivors or been a stopping point for them as they go on to a facility that's more specialized in human and sex trafficking. Um but we have um, we've had women who were in the sex work industry and some by choice and some not by choice. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's definitely something we've experienced and provided services for clients um, to address that because I mean, it's not uncommon. Yeah. Um, and it's something that can so easily just be blown off like mm-hmm. as not being important or anything definitely well and looking at the trauma that someone's experienced from that and you know that can be very different than the trauma you know a domestic violence survivor experiences you know from their spouse um, and so making sure you know one of our goals is to make sure that every client comes in we meet them where they're at that they have the customized plan that they need to be successful because what you know survivor a needs may be very different from what survivor b needs but it's not a cookie cutter one size fits all program Mm -hmm. like we are committed to making sure that the program adjusts to the needs of the survivor yeah um so we definitely work with you know survivors who have experienced human sex trafficking um and ensuring that they have everything they need yeah yeah 
Um, so what are some ways that, you know, as the community or as community members, what are ways that, you know, well, I guess we'll go through different stages. Like one, how can someone help, you know, the community at a large, like with this kind of problem or things yeah. like this? Um, definitely supporting domestic violence shelters, whether it's with a monetary support or volunteering or attending events or holding donation drives. I mean, there are so many different ways to engage at so many different levels, mm -hmm. all the way down to just having a conversation with your friends and your family, you know, having a conversation with your kids about what's healthy and what's unhealthy in a relationship, talking about boundaries, you know, talking about self-confidence and self-worth. I mean, there we need to have the conversations. Mm -hmm. I mean, for so long, you know, especially throughout the 1900s, like what happened in your home was your business. What happened in their home is their business. And that is, you know, why there were so many domestic violence cases because people didn't want to speak up. Yeah. Or people saw something and they turned a blind eye because it wasn't affecting them. And that is not how we break the cycle. Um, so it's having those conversations is so important. Yeah. So how can uh, somebody specifically help New House? Like what are things yeah. that you guys are always looking for or in need of right now? Whatever yeah. It is. I definitely recommend visiting our website at newhousekc, as in Kansas City, <laughs> .org. Um, there are ways to make monetary gifts, um, to learn about what kind of in-kind donations we're taking, like clothing, accessories, jewelry, um, household items. Um, it talks about ways to engage as a volunteer. You know, we've got so many different volunteer opportunities, whether it's one-time or recurring roles, um, ways to work directly with survivors, and ways to do non-direct service work. Um, and then we've got, you know, signs of domestic violence on our website, so resources and learning more about what DV looks like, what to be aware of, how you can have conversations about it, um, all the resources you would need um, to help prevent domestic violence in the community. Um, and of course, we invite anybody who's interested to learn more to reach out, um, visit our website, you know, start the conversation with us. We love talking about the work we do because it's important and those conversations need to happen. Yeah, so have you guys ever, are is this a thing that working on or whatever it is like have do you guys go to different like colleges or whatever and do like you know kind of talks about domestic yeah. violence and everything like that so we've done presentations and are definitely looking to get out there more to have those conversations i think going on college campuses to high schools is so important um and there are other agencies in the metro that are doing that as well mm -hmm. um but yes we do speak at events <laughs> cool um what so is there, so if someone kind of like sees this in someone else or, you know, sees it kind of in a relationship, um, what do you suggest that, what are the routes that you suggest somebody like a friend do yeah. to kind of help someone who they, you know, either may know from evidence or from, you know, just yeah. kind of being there or whatever it is? Um, I definitely recommend giving our hotline a call. Again, 816-471-5800. And I'll have that in the show notes and everything, too. Yeah. <laughs> giving our hotline a call, talking to our advocates, they can direct you to our therapists, our case managers, you know, the people you need to talk to to get the resources you need. Um, and I think there's definitely something powerful in being able to have that conversation um, and, you know, talking about your experience and not feeling silenced. Um, so I definitely recommend reaching out 
we do outreach services where a client may need case management or therapy or to utilize our attorney, but they don't need shelter. Yeah. Um, so we have outreach programs where you know, people can still receive those services without being in the shelter. Yeah. I was going to actually ask that, so good thing you yeah. answered that. Yeah, so people can kind of just kind of, you know, pick and choose what they need in, like, the current situation yeah. or whatever it is. Definitely. Okay, that's awesome. Um, I feel like that's kind of all my questions. Yeah. I mean, obviously, there's so much more that we can talk about on this. You right. know, there's <laughs> so much that goes into it, um, yeah. but I think – it's important to know, I mean, it's Sexual Assault Awareness Month, but there's so much more to that than just, you know, sexual assault. Yeah. Like, domestic violence in general just needs to be talked about more. So many things that kind of go un unscathed. So, yeah. if anyone listening to this needs help or knows someone who needs help, reach out, um, say something. I think that's the biggest thing is just talking about it. And, um. you know, because a lot of times we don't know things that are problematic until we hear it from someone else yeah. or whatever it is. Because, I mean, obviously life is so complicated and hard and you may know that you're not feeling, you're feeling uncomfortable with things happening, but you may not exactly know why. And so yeah. by talking about it and saying things and speaking up is so important and destigmatizing just right. the idea. No, <laughs> I am so honored to have been on your podcast today. Um, I so appreciate you and everything you're doing in the nonprofit community. Um, and I appreciate anybody that's listening to this podcast today. Thank you yeah. so much for letting me be here. Yeah, I'm so excited um, just to talk about it. It just yeah. needs to be talked about. Yeah. Um, do you want to say where to follow you? Oh, yes. <laughs> well, I Please follow Newhouse yes. on social media. Um, you can visit us. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Just search Newhouse KC or Newhouse. Um, yeah, give us a follow and reach out to us. Feel free to add me on LinkedIn, <laughs> Christopher Stibbs. Um, but thanks again so much for letting me be here today. Yeah, thank you. Well, I hope you guys all enjoyed that episode and enjoyed Chris. Um Please make sure to follow Newhouse, follow Chris. All, everything will be listed in the show notes. Um, and also along with several hotlines that you can reach out to if you are not in the Kansas City area. And if you are, I will be putting Newhouse's 24-hour hotline. So if you need help or you know someone who needs help, please reach out to these organizations and please seek the help that you need because... You deserve to feel love. You deserve to feel heard. You deserve to feel safe. And if you're too scared to do any of that, too worried about it, whatever it may be, please know that you can always reach out to me in my DMs. Follow me on Instagram at loudmouthpod. And you can DM me on there and I will keep it all anonymous and I will help you get to safety and get to a good place. Please know if you're a survivor of sexual assault, of domestic violence, whatever it may be, know that you are supported here you are in a safe place and you are so 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 strong and you deserve so much love so thank you guys for listening today please be an advocate for sexual assault raise your mouth be heard be a loud mouth out there please follow me on instagram at loudmouthpod you can email me loudmouthpod1 at gmail.com and yes please be an advocate for anyone who needs it uh i'm so proud of you all everyone that listens to this episode i love you guys 
um, check out New House in the show notes. And I think that's all I have to say. I will talk to you guys later. Thanks for listening, guys. Bye.